0: Hi, I'm Peggy. And I'm Dave. And this is Amped. Hey, Dave, how are you today?
1: I'm awesome. And you? You're
0: awesome. I like that. You are awesome.
1: <laughs> I'm not awesome, but I am feeling awesome about the world, you know? Okay. Red, Red Sox are in the World Series. Patriots are playing well. Even my beloved Everton football team, European football, won Soccer. this weekend. Yeah. So okay. big, big weekend. Lots so the- of Ws.
0: Lots of happiness in the McGill family.
1: Well, just for me, no one else in my family fundamentally cares about any of this.
0: Well, I don't care about sports either, but I will tell you when the Capitals win or the Bengals win or Ohio State wins, I I am happy simply by default. So I'm sure that your wife is happy as well.
1: So two-thirds of your weekend was crappy then?
0: Yes. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes. (laughs)
1: <laughs> Sorry to hear that.
0: And I told him, I told him, though, that if he's going to invest his heart and soul behind sports teams, he really needs to pick some that don't consistently suck.
1: It makes it so much easier.
0: Because he's just setting himself up for failure being a Bengals fan.
1: Yes, but he's coming off the Washington Capitals high, and he's going to live on that for the next three years.
0: Oh, I know. We He actually like has parts of it saved on the DVR and I catch them going back and watching it.
1: Yeah. It's if there's ever like, a bad day, go back and watch those highlights. Yeah, doesn't get better than that.
0: I don't understand it, but that's all right. Makes them happy. So it's all good. <laughs>
1: well we've got we've got an interesting podcast topic because I think it's really about doing something that's pretty fulfilling and makes us happy
0: It is it's about um how you get ready and prepared to go and meet a new amputee. I know I receive lots of calls you know from friends of friends or from doctor's office or even from the local hospital now um that there's a new amputee in the area. Am I willing to meet with him or her? Of course, my answer is always yes. Um, that kind of takes priority in my schedule, regardless of what's going on. Um, and Dave, I know that you're the same way, that you'll drop whatever you can to make it work in your schedule.
1: Yes. And I, I think I do it much less frequently than you do. It's sort of a function of, you know, our respective jobs. But um, and, and, you know, you, you've been much closer, I think, historically um, to to the community on a day-to-day basis than I have. But it's, it's, it's a really cool thing when you do get asked and you have the opportunity to do it, but you got to kind of do it right. And that's that's one of the things we want to talk about. It today.
0: is. It is. And one of the reasons that, that I brought this topic to the table today is because last week I did a, a, a visit with a new amputee in the area. Um, this actually came about because it's the mother of one of my husband's students. And, um, it's really kind of been haunting me ever since I'm going to go see her again tomorrow, but I just, I, it's one of those interactions and stories that kind of sticks with you for a while. Um, and I kind of want to go into that a little bit too, like how you prepare yourself to put yourself out there because it, it is sometimes difficult.
1: Yeah, it definitely can be. So why don't I do a quick overview and, and you can get into the guts of this one a bit since I think this one is, uh, you, you thought of the topic and I think it's a great one and, and you've had the most recent experience with it. So, you know, high level, you know, meeting a new amputee is obviously, uh, something that is, uh, can be potentially really rewarding for both you and that person, but it's a major responsibility. It's not something you can or should just walk into casually. Um, you know, proper preparation is really important for this. And so in this podcast, we'll explain sort of our personal history with these visits. Like, were we ever visited? Have we ever done them? Um, how to prepare in order to make the visit as possible, as positive as possible and what we think our role is and what your role should be. If you have the opportunity to ever visit a, a new amputee and provide them, uh, provide them support and or some level of guidance.
0: All right. Um, so I I feel very strongly about doing the visits uh, whenever requested. Like I said before, I, I will typically try to rearrange just about anything that can be rearranged to make it happen. And part of that is because I didn't have that kind of support or interaction or mentor when I became an amputee. I, I knew that I was going to become an amputee. Mine was a delayed amputation um it, but even up to the surgery i was desperate to tr- to meet somebody or to connect with somebody in my area who was an amputee and it it was really hard i connected over the phone with one person but it was a much older lady who had a much different situation than i had but even that interaction just it meant the world to me and throughout the recovery and as i got stronger i started thinking you know that if, if I'm ever in a situation where I can help somebody or I can provide that guidance or even that that empathetic ear, I really want to make sure that I do that. And that really feeling lost and feeling alone and just feeling like I'm kind of drifting in this brand new world of limb loss all by myself, I always channel those feelings before I do any visit. It's good for me, although it's hard to kind of go back to that place so that I can remember and reconnect with what that person might be going through.
1: Yeah. And I guess I, I had a slightly different experience. I was so clueless and just so sort of disconnected. I didn't even know that that was a possibility. I mean, I didn't, I didn't know about the existence of any organizations that would connect you to visits. I didn't try to really reach out to anybody, um, nor did I know anybody anyway. So it was just sort of, I was a new amputee and I figured I would figure all of that out somehow. Um, and I, I think in retrospect, obviously having had someone come in who was, who was good at it and who had some real life experience living with limb loss would have probably been an incredibly valuable thing for me, but I just, you know, was blissfully ignorant, I guess you could say.
0: Sometimes you don't miss what you don't know that you could have had, right?
1: Yes, well, that was definitely my case.
0: So, um, you know, there are some things if you are going to be asked to go on a on a visit or even a phone call, um, it is, and Dave, you did touch on this, it's a really profound responsibility because the image that you put on living with limb loss will stick with that person for a very long time. If you go into the visit sullen and yeah, this really stinks, I can't get on my leg today, da-da-da-da-da, and complaint, that is what that person's gonna pick up on. So you really have to go into it knowing that you don't know what you say is going to resonate with the person. So you have to be careful with everything and and every uh, emotion that you put out there, you need to make sure that it's although realistic you want to try to remain as optimistic and positive as you can,
1: yeah and it's not even something I'm realizing as you were saying that we and we didn't include it in the show notes, Peggy, but it's a great point, your frame of mind this is not something you should do if you've just had a fight with somebody at work or you're in a bad mood because something went wrong at home. You know, it would be probably better for the person you're meeting if you chose to delay that meeting with them until you're in the right frame of mind to do it. Because, you know, going in and present, you are the face of amputation, whether you like it or not. Exactly. That's what you are for that person. And if you go in and there's just a a negative vibe or a frustrated or angry vibe underneath, Whatever uh, the conversation is that you're trying to have with this person, even if you're trying to do it to the best of your ability, that will that will have an effect on the person you're talking to.
0: Absolutely, one hundred percent. So you really have to be cognizant of of that you are under the microscope in a way when you go in there. Um, so it really is very helpful if you can do some preparation ahead of time. Um, before I go for a visit, I always try to just get some basic information from whoever made the referral. I want to know, you know, what's the level of amputation? How long ago was it? And just a few words. I don't want to know the whole story because I want that person to share their story when they feel ready. But just the cause of amputation. Was it trauma? Was it disease? Um, some demographic information, some family situation information. Is this person living alone? Are they single mom? Do they have a large family? What's their support system like? Kind of knowing that information before I go in for the visit or before I make those initial contacts really kind of helps me kind of uh, gauge how I'm going to present things to the individual. When I go for a visit, I also, you know, I have little folders that I have at the ready uh, to share with people and in them I've compiled a list of prosthetists in my area Um, but I they're not ranked and I don't put a preference mine is in there but it's not highlighted or marked in any way I just want that person to have that information because a lot of people Dave when they're new to limb loss don't even know the word prostatist. I mean it and, and I totally understand it. It's, it's jargon and we're speaking in a language that, that sometimes not everybody understands. Um, not everybody was prepared for limb loss. Uh, not everybody knows anything about it. So, you know, I, I just try to provide the basic information for the people. Um, I also, I do provide the Amped Prosthetist Interview Tool, Uh, because that's one of the things that I go over is, you know, if you choose to go with a prosthetic, you have choices. Here are some facilities that you can go to. Here are some questions that I think are really valuable to ask. Um, If the person has young children, and I got that when I was getting some of that demographic information, I print out the amped coloring pages and I bring a new box of crayons because although I'm usually there to meet with the parent or the grandparent, the kids are going through a lot too and and they need a little bit of healing time and just a little bit of attention.
1: Yep, I think that's a, a really good point Peggy. Um, you know, it's you're thinking about more than just the person, you're thinking about the totality of the situation and I think it's it's that kind of sensitivity that really resonates with the person you're speaking to.
0: So, and when I get there the very first thing that I do, I always introduce myself. Oh, I should backtrack a little bit. So that's just um, when I'm preparing to go for the visit, I also, whenever possible, I make sure that I'm wearing something where my prosthetic is is visible, mainly because I know that's what they want to see, right? Some of these people, you know, may have had trauma and may have never even seen a prosthesis up up front and personal, may have never touched one. They don't really know how it works. So just having it visible and me walking in very confidently with my, you know, bag of swag, um, with my prosthetic visible, sometimes you can see the change go from fear and apprehension to, all right, maybe this is something I can handle. And that's a really neat transformation to watch.
1: Yeah, it is. Now let me ask you this. Do you uh- – I have when I've done visits. I'm usually wearing long pants. I've never worn shorts to one of these. You don't wear a skirt. Uh, I definitely don't wear a skirt. <laughs> um, I, not yet, at least. But um,
0: well, that'll I be a podcast then.
1: That will be. It will be. <laughs> <laughs> that'll be a podcast on many levels that will attract a whole different audience. Um, but I guess my question to you is, um. Or my let me do it this way. My assumption has always been that if they want to see it, they're going to ask. And so I've always walked in without having it clearly visible. And if they ask to see it, of course, I will happily lift up the pant leg and show them what's going on. But I've never wanted to force it right into someone's face um, by wearing shorts and being so obvious about it. Do you, do you come at it from the other side?
0: I do because I think it's hard for some people to say, can I see it? Can I see what your leg looks like? They don't know if socially that's an okay thing to ask, even if it's very obvious that that's why you're there. Um, and I just found that sometimes just kind of, you know, walking in, you know, very comfortable and sitting down as if it's just a normal thing because it is really – in my experience has helped to quell some of those, that anxiety and it kind of puts it right out there and then we're ready to go into the conversation.
1: All right. That's a really helpful perspective. Thank you.
0: Um, so when, when I do get there um, the main thing, and I can't stress this enough is you're there to listen that the visit's not about me, although I am benefiting from it and, and, people who do this kind of outreach, we do benefit from it because there's, it's very humbling and satisfying at the same time to be able to give back to somebody and to kind of, you know, pay it forward on that road that you were just traveling. Um, But everybody has a different story. Everybody has a different, a different path that they took to get to that place. And this, the visit is not the time to share my journey or my path other than the bare minimums. I've been an amputee for 15 years. I had a computer fall on my foot. Tell me about what's going on with you. How are you doing today?
1: Yeah, I think I, I think just orienting <laughs> orienting yourself to this person and recognizing that even though you may benefit and makes you feel great, it is this is not about you. It's not about me as, as the person when I'm going in. This is really about the person who is lying in the bed looking for, looking for answers to the questions that they have. And, um, you know, that can be really challenging. Um, our desire to help sometimes leads us to really overshare information about ourselves. And I think it's really important when you're asked a question by them about you, To answer the question, but really to answer it almost as narrowly as possible. Uh, Because what you want them to do, hopefully, is ask lots of questions rather than asking you one question and then you going on a 10 minute romp about how, you know, what your view of amputation is generally. They will get there. If they, if they have questions, they're going to get there. They're going to ask you more specific stuff. If you're not complete enough in the answer, they will probe. So I've always felt it really important to let them dictate the flow and pace of that conversation.
0: Absolutely. Could not agree with you more. Um, You know, it's important too, Dave. I I think you and I are both problem solvers. Uh, You know, my husband calls me the fixer. If somebody has a problem or an issue or a frustration, my first inclination is to go in and try to make it okay, to take care of the meetings, to take care of the appointments, to give them what they need, to try to figure out a workaround for them. When I go in to do this type of visit, that's not my role. And I have to remind myself of that all the time, that I'm here to listen. I'm here to listen. <laughs> I'm here to listen. I'm here to relate. I'm here to put a positive face on limb loss because they're going to have enough people in their life looking at them through the, the glasses of pity and remorse You know, um, I'm there to show that that life isn't over when you lose a leg or an arm and that, you know, life will be different, but different doesn't mean worse. It's just different. Um, But that is definitely something that that I have to constantly remind myself about. Um, I do a lot of visits in the hospital. And usually when I do visits in the hospitals, there's more than just the patient there. And that's another situation where I have to remind myself that sometimes, you know, the patient isn't always ready for me to be there. It's the family who needs to see me. And this happened to me just a few weeks ago. I was called to do a peer visit um, in a local hospital. And I went there and the woman asked a few questions and then called for her pain medication literally rolled over and fell asleep. And it was the husband who kept me there asking question after question, wanting more information, doing that sort of thing. So in that situation, I thought I was going for her, but it turns out that I went for him. And she actually called me then about a week later and was ready to start talking to me. So that's important to keep in mind as well.
1: Yeah, it is. And, and one of the things, if you're, if you do have that kind of problem solving mindset and think that your role is to, is to make everything okay, you know, these visits can be really emotional for obvious reasons to the person you're talking to. And I think it's important not to cut that off. Uh, if you're like me, you know, emotion generally doesn't make you all that comfortable. And if you have someone in front of you who's really struggling, the my instinct is always to just sort of dive in and say, hey, listen, like, you know, try to walk them through how all the 58 reasons why it's going to be OK mm-hmm. and try to usher them through whatever it is that they're feeling. So they come out the other end of it more quickly. And that is not our job when we do this. And you kind of have to just sit there in the silence and the pain and and wait for them to to ask you to say something rather than interjecting actively into that.
0: And it's hard. It, I find myself struggling with that as well. It's sometimes just being there for the other person isn't about fixing the other person. It's about just listening. Yeah. And that that leads me to another point. And I think it's, it's very important to remind everybody who is preparing to go out and do these visits um, is that we're not there to fix anything that if you think that the person is suicidal or is, is flirting with self harm or something like that, um, you know, you do need to, to provide the resources for suicide prevention. If there's a loved one there, I've al- already spoken with them about it. The person who referred me, sometimes I'll backtrack and say I'm a little worried, but it is not my job, nor am I trained, nor would I feel comfortable trying to tackle that responsibility of of helping somebody through that kind of mental health maze
1: yeah, really good point peggy really good point it it can get it can get very complicated some- but sometimes they're also really simple and they're incredible you know it's you know if if I had met a person like that knowing sort of how I was thinking about it at the time. You know, if if I was the person visiting me, it would have been probably a lot of fun because I would have just asked a thousand questions and it would have been like, when can I start? Mm -hmm. And that, you know, it's we don't mean to make this sound like it's always this, you know, wrenching, horrific thing. It's kind of a mixed bag, just like the people you're talking to. Some are more positive, some are less positive. Peggy, one of the things you mentioned at the beginning of this was, you know, you had a really emotional experience doing one of these recently. And- it might be interesting for people to get that perspective since you, you mentioned it without any detail earlier.
0: It's sometimes, you know, you, you go into these visits, Dave, because deep down you really do care, right? Deep down, you've re- you know, your intentions are, are authentic and I really just want to help people. But every once in a while I meet somebody who just their situation just breaks my heart. You know, this woman, uh, developed an infection in her leg, ended up being an above-knee amputee, lost time from work because she was in the hospital fighting for her life, got discharged from the hospital to find out that they were evicted. She's living in a homeless shelter with her kids. No job, no money, and it's just like, it's really hard to go in there with a smile and, you know, Pollyanna, everything's going to be okay.
1: Yeah.
0: Sometimes they haunt you, right? And then I find myself you know, googling resources and looking things up, and I have to backtrack. And and I had to do that today and say, okay, I'm actually not her social worker, though. She has a social worker. I've provided some some ideas to the social worker, but I need to back off now because this that is not my role. And I found myself going to that role a little bit too much.
1: Yep. Yeah, it's it's really difficult to draw to draw clear boundaries especially when you you know you're in this it's a very int- it can be a very intense short-lived relationship but it's you you know if you're if you're in the middle of it um and you're trying to help you know you you can very quickly lose the forest for the trees and all of a sudden you are this person's de facto advocate um when they've never asked you to be and you're not qualified to do it and exactly. it's Exactly. It's it's super challenging.
0: It is and then sometimes I just meet somebody who just you know for lack of better words reminds me of myself when I was there. Every time I go do a visit, I, I and I do it to myself. I I fully admit that I I put it on myself that I I make myself go back in time and revisit those feelings that I felt right before and right after my amputation. And Dave, we've spoken about this before. I I went into a very dark place after my amputation. Um, and I really felt that I was just drowning. And, and I couldn't figure out, you know, top from bottom. And I've never felt so lost in my life. And every single time I go back and do a peer visit, I go to that place first. And I do it because I want to be able to always connect with... I. I understand what you're feeling. I can't say I feel, you know, that I know what you're feeling because I don't. They're your feelings. But I know how I felt. This is the information that I would have needed. This is the type of, infor- you know, how I would have needed it to be portrayed. Um, and that's that's what I do to get ready for a peer visit. But it can be emotionally, it can be hard. It can be really, really draining.
1: Yep, it can. And yet, I think you ask almost anyone who's ever done this, particularly if they do it well, and everyone who's done it will tell you, "I think I get more out of this than the person I'm talking to. It's more rewarding for me than it is for them." And that's not said out of selfishness. It's said out of a a sense of, I think, really, you know, paying it forward a little bit and and feeling like um, that person letting you into their life to share something incredibly difficult. And, and to personal. be open with you yeah, and personal is really, really transformative.
0: So Dave, I have a question that's not in the show notes. Okay. So we're going off script. Bum, bum, off bum. script. I wow. know. I want to know what's one piece of advice that you almost always tell somebody, you know, of the same uh, – it doesn't have to be of the same gender. But when you go and meet with a new amputee, whether it be on the phone or in person – is there one piece of information that you want to always make sure that you share?
1: Um, yeah, but it's in the show notes, which is talk less, listen more. Th-
0: that's what you share to the person.
1: Oh, you're talking about to the person. Yes, I'm sorry. Yes, The person yes. who I'm going to meet with. Yes. Um, the one thing I generally share. I apologize. I really screwed that up. You did. You teed it up so nicely. I
0: did. I know
1: and then i just wish that's cuz
0: we went off script and you weren't able to follow my thought pattern
1: no your thought pattern was fine i'm a bit of a moron um so i think the one thing that i generally share with people um is that in my experience having met with you know hundreds and hundreds of patients over the years you know most of them when when i had my own facility and i was doing a lot of Consults with patients um, as they were new amputees. I, you know, I I tell them in general, almost everyone I've ever spoken to, if they're feeling badly about where they are, if they're not, you know, if, if they're understandably in a in a kind of dark place, I tell them I have seen almost everyone I've ever spoken to gets to a point where this characteristic of their life isn't the dominant thing it's not oh i'm jane or john an amputee who does x but rather i get to you know you get to a point where you say i'm jane i'm john i do x oh and i also happen to be an amputee and that i can't tell them when that transition takes place or how but that for the vast majority of people it does happen and so while it's the dominant characteristic in their lives today it won't necessarily always be that way unless they want it to be
0: I like that. I like that. That and and I tell people something very similar. That you know, when you wake up in the morning, you're going to wake up one morning, and it's not going to be the very first thing that you think of. Yep. That that as you slip on your prosthesis, if you decide to use one or go into whatever adaptive equipment that you need, you know, I knew that I was finally on the path to healing emotionally and physically when I realized that, you know, it was 1130 and I had not yet cursed my prosthetic device.
1: (laughs) Right. Yep. I've said something. Yeah. And often what I say is, is much briefer and is right along the lines of what you said. And it's really just boiled down to there'll come a day where you're just going to put on your prosthesis in the morning and it's just another thing you do like putting on your clothes. It's just not something you think about anymore. Um, and that does happen. It just, you know, The only thing I can't tell them is it going to be next month, next year, three years down the road, but it does happen.
0: And it's going to vary. You know, you can go through a really strong time and then, you know, I still have time when when I miss my leg, but it's okay. I allow myself to feel it and then you move on. So.
1: I think, yeah, I think that's the right way to do it to the extent there's a right way. I think just being in the moment and accepting that however you feel is okay, that's the most important thing.
0: And the one thing, so one thing, if I'm meeting with a female uh, amputee, and I don't do it with a male just because, um, you know, I'm not really sure why. Maybe because, I don't know. That's probably a topic for a different podcast. Um, But I I let every female amputee, if it's appropriate, and if I feel like we're kind of jiving conversation-wise, I want every new female amputee to know that, you know, it's okay if you're going to, you might experience body image issues, you might have trouble looking in mirrors, you might have trouble being sensual and sexy with your significant other for a while, and it's okay that that's normal and that you can work through it because it can be really scary when, you know, all of a sudden you, you can't stand the way that your body looks and you didn't know that that was going to be part of it and you think you should have it all together. So that's probably the one piece of advice that I try to leave female amputees.
1: That's a good one. I like that one. It's not something I don't know how guys would react to that. Yeah, I, and I, but never, I can, but I can tell you, after I became an amputee, I was really freaked out about what kind of physical relationship, yeah. if any, I was going to have with my wife after that. Yeah, I didn't know, and I thought about it, and it was it was stress inducing.
0: Oh yeah, so the and and for me as well. That's why that you know i try to kind of dispel that right at the beginning because i think if you know that then when you start feeling that way it can it can help you go oh this is probably normal okay i can get through this i can get through this i can get through this and you do get through it i mean but after my amputation you know i removed every full length mirror from the house did you we did uh, we actually still do not have a full length mirror in the house Isn't that interesting? I just never put them back up. But I could not stand to see the mirror on the back of the closet door and have me walking into it because I just kept hyper-focusing on what I looked like walking with a robot leg and I could not move past it. And you know what? It was okay for me to take them down.
1: Wow. And I'm just the opposite. Like If I could have mirrors on every wall so I could evaluate my gait and self-correct all the time, I would. OK, <laughs> it's just uh, but that's because I was sort of maniacally focused on actually trying to hide it mm-hmm. by walking well. So right. that that was kind of my rehab. You know, can I trick people? Very cool. Yeah. You want to summarize?
0: I think we did, but we'll summarize again. Um, remember that when you're called to, to meet with a new amputee, it is it's a huge honor And it should be viewed that way. And it's also a huge responsibility. Dave, I know that you've never made that call. I have made that call. I've made the call of, you know, I'm scared and I don't know what to do. And I think I need to talk to somebody. And let me tell you, as somebody who's, you know, proud and independent and strong, it's really, really hard to ask for help. Of course. Really, really hard. Yeah. And if you acknowledge that and remember that going in, if you're called for a visit, even if you can't do it, at least acknowledge the outreach. Write back email back. Call back right away if you miss the call. But but return that contact as soon as you can. Don't let that email sit in your inbox because that person is on the other line. On their laptop, constantly checking to see if their lifeline, who has become you, has responded.
1: Yep, yeah, that is a fantastic point. If you if you leave them dangling, the chances that they will reach out again are very, very low. To anybody, exactly, they're just going to shut down, assuming no one can talk to them.
0: And that's what happened to me. Yeah, um, and that's why I talk all the time now. I think um, prepare for the for the visits. Um, Do a little bit of research or recognizance if you can. Um, Get yourself mentally ready for for the tears that you might witness, for the grief that you might witness, the anger. Know that that's that person going through that journey and those emotions are authentic to them, but they're not yours.
1: Yep. That's really good, Peggy. Thank you. That was an excellent summary. Thank you for doing that.
0: Awesome. All right. All
1: right. Well, thank you for thinking of this topic. I think this was a great one. I was I was so excited when you mentioned it to me because it seems rather obvious that we should have done it. And it's a super important thing that both you and I have done. And uh, I can't believe we didn't talk about it yet. So that was a great
0: one. And I do want to invite our listeners, if you have any ideas um, on, on a tool or a resource that AMP could create to help make the these visits or this outreach easier for both sides please let us know
1: yeah info
0: at amplife.org yes very good
1: peggy all right thanks for talking
0: have a great week
1: you too take care bye